Anyway, we just got a lot to be thankful for and much to be in prayer for, and I just encourage you to continue to pray for our folks that are struggling and really just the whole, obviously this has been a global thing, and there is, as you mentioned, Mark, there's just a lot going on in this world, and uh, I do believe with all of my heart that everything that is taking place, uh, the, the real, if, there, if you want to use the word advantage, anything that happens uh, in our own personal lives, uh, beyond our personal lives in the world that we live in, if it turns our hearts and our mind and our spirit and our living towards God, well, then praise God. And, and so uh, as difficult as this has been, I am also sure that uh, through, this, uh, through the many struggles that, uh, that are taking place right now in globally is that there also are many hearts uh, that are considering God maybe for the first time. And there are many hearts that are turning towards God uh, as well. So we just continue to stay in prayer and um, we continue to live by faith. We live by faith and not by sight. So this morning, open your Bibles to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Peter writes, he said, there is now, beloved, the second letter. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing you uh, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I like the way he pins that, that uh, I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of remember, that you should remember, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. Psalm 119, you just read that mark, the first eight verses, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? And I have to tell you that uh, if we have not been sure that we're living in that time, you can be absolutely sure that we are living in that time. It is sad and interesting and disheartening to me. If you're paying attention, if you're listening, uh, there is a growing, loud and verbal and passionate and emotional mocking of God in His Word. And uh, he who has eyes to see, let him see. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There is a mocking of God in the promises of God. Where is the promise of his coming? Where is it? Mockers. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. There's even religious folks. There's those, obviously, that are atheists or agnostic, but there are even religious folks that certainly have some understanding of God and his word, and they would just mock him. You know, think nothing's changed. It's just the way it's always been since the beginning of the creation. And then verse 5, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. 
But the present heavens and earth by his word, by God's word, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise. He's not, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That day is coming and it's, come, it's going to come like a thief. And then listen to here, verse 11, since all these things, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Read that again. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of, the, of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will meet, melt with intense heat. Again, verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this day, in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That question that Peter asked, and obviously he, he had a relationship with these people, this community of believers. Um, he's writing them a second letter. And at the end of that letter, he poses this truth. God, God had a word. And, and his word has always been, there's going to be a day. And in that day, everything that you and I, what we see, what we're aware of, what we can touch, what we can feel, is going to be burned up. It's going to be destroyed. Every, every brick and mortar building, every steel building, every... The concrete foundation, every great forest, every great weapon of destruction, every financial institution, every piece of currency, everything that we cherish and we hold value in, our belongings, heirlooms, is going to be burned out. And and then the question is, and he puts that in light of God's, his patience and his word, and he puts it in light of a mindset culturally where people, even religious people, would mock that. But then the question is, what kind of, what kind of person should you and I be in holy conduct and godliness? Now, I don't know how much time you spend in the Bible. I don't know. But if I were to say to you Genesis through Revelation, in Genesis through Revelation, God's Word, the written Word that we do have, in that Word, everything that you, everything that you and I need to know about godly living and godly conduct, knowing that all this is going to be destroyed, but that everything that you and I need to know about holy conduct and godliness 
is in this book. You couldn't find anything or you couldn't pose a question, you could not do it, that uh, where you couldn't know what the Bible, what God's word, his promise, you, we'd have no excuse concerning anything in our life. There's, there's not one thing. If you want to know uh, what the holy conduct and godliness of being a Christian man or woman is, it's right here. And it's not, there's nothing bailed. There's nothing that you would have a question. There's no thing that you could say, well, the Bible's not clear about that. The Bible's not clear about how I ought to live as a godly man or a godly woman. The Bible's not clear about how I ought to live as a godly husband or a godly wife. The Bible is not clear about how I should live as a godly child, parent, because it is. Uh, there's the Bible, you say, well, maybe the Bible's not clear about how I should live financially. No, the Bible's very clear. The Bible's very clear uh, about our holy conduct and godliness when it comes to our financial lives, our possessions, our marital lives, our sexual lives. The Bible's very clear. There's no, I, I can't find, and I've never been able to find, and I actually looked. There was a time in my ministry where I would examine the scripture trying to find something that if I could read it, I thought, well, I'm not sure what that says concerning my personal life, anyone's personal life, having to do with godly conduct and holiness. I, it doesn't exist. I've searched the scripture myself uh, through the ministry of, of just counseling and as a pastor, I've had over and over, people say, well, Pastor or Aubrey, you know, what does the Bible teach about this? Or here's the problem I'm experiencing. Here's the difficulty that I'm in. And it could be any of those things. Mostly it's relational. Mostly, mostly people struggle with something that's happening in their life relationally. With their family dynamics, marriage, children, workplace, friends. It could be most of the time that's what it is. And the Bible is very clear, very clear about what godly conduct and holiness looks like. The problem isn't that the Bible doesn't provide the information. That's not the problem. The problem is really two things, and they're connected. It's our flesh. You know, our flesh, <laughs> our flesh doesn't desire godly conduct and holiness. It doesn't. Our flesh desires feeding our flesh. Selfishness, pride, ego, arrogance. Our flesh uh, is easily offended. Michael Wells, and I, I, have, I have tried. <laughs> I understand it, but it's difficult because it's a truth that just stands infallible. He made this statement. He said that, Jesus Christ will allow you to be offended till you cannot be offended anymore. And he would even say, it may end up, you may be the last moment, the last second, the last day of your life before you end up in a coffin or cremated, but if you don't figure that out, you're just going to live your life frustrated and offended all the time by somebody. 
But you won't be able to blame Jesus Christ for it. Because Jesus Christ, he'll, he might send a messenger from Satan, just like he did with Paul. You can read about it in Corinthians. He'll do anything. God is so just, he's so loving of you and I, the soul that he has, that he owns, that makes up you and I, that he will. You want to live separate and apart from him, he will let you live separate and apart from him. But he will make you miserable. And he's designed this thing in such a way that he doesn't really have to do a lot of work. Read the story of the prodigal son. Every young person ought to know this. And we talked about it in the Bible class this morning about Solomon and his conclusion in Ecclesiastes. He said, you know, everything. He had asked God for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. And he writes, you know, the Proverbs. He writes Ecclesiastes. He writes the Song of uh, Solomon. Uh, and, but his conclusion in Ecclesiastes, this great book of wisdom, he said, I've done it all. I've pursued it all. I've bought it all. I've built it all. And I've had it all. And you know what? It's vain. It's just all vanity. It's all vanity. So you go to the story of the prodigal son. He wants the father, Luke chapter 15. I want, he got a wealthy dad. I want my inheritance now. Okay, it's yours. A great deal of money. He goes off. The Bible says he squandered it in wild living. And even his older brother knew it. And it was just, when he comes back and he says to us, he said, this, this son of yours, he wouldn't claim him as his own brother, this son of yours wasted everything you gave him. You're the inheritance with wild living, wine, women, and song. And you just readily take him back. But the point, it, there's so many things there. It is the gospel, if you read that in its entirety, that great story of the prodigal son. But one of the elements of that is that the, the world has nothing to offer you. And all it'll offer you is temporary pleasure at best. There's not enough money. There's not enough possessions. There's not enough sex. There's not enough enjoyment. There's not enough education. That if that's the pursuit of your life, if that's the measure of your life, you're going to end up miserable. And God will allow you to pursue those things at any level. You want to, just pursue them. Now here's the thing. As we pursue earthly things, it affects our conduct and our lack of godliness. The more earthly a person is, the more earthly their conduct is. The more earthly a person is, the more ungodly they are. And so he says, Peter says, this whole deal is going to burn up. It's destined. And the only reason it hasn't burned up, it's going to come like a thief. Jesus would say a thief in the night. It's going to happen. And then you and I are just kind of living. And, and, and Jesus says in the thief of the night teaching, he said it's going to happen. Listen, people are going to be getting married and they're going to be having children. They're going to be, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It, it, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and, and famines and, and earthquakes. And he wasn't saying, there won't, he didn't say there's going to be an increase. Literally what he's saying, I would ask you, when in a time, in any time historically, that you because we can map, we're doing a pretty good job of mapping history, when, there, when has there been a time where there hasn't been wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famine? There's, it's never. Somewhere, someplace, right now, there's a war, there's a rumor of a war, there's earthquakes, there's famines, 
People are getting married. They're having children. They're living. And the thief in the night is going to come. And he says, by the way, this is of the utmost. Know this first of all. You better know this. Parents, you better be teaching your children this. Because the question then, since this deal is going to burn up, is what kind of people should you be? And the answer is, everything that you need to know about what kind of person you need to be is right here. You won't have an excuse. Well, nobody will have an excuse. Paul would write the Romans in chapter 1 that we're all without an excuse because even the invisible attributes of God have been made known through the creation. No man will have an excuse. Whether he knows this word, reads this word, has access to this word, he'll not have an excuse. No man. But you and I. You and I. Paul, Peter says, this is the second time I'm writing you. I have no trouble reminding you. And so it was true then, it's true now. The question should be for you and I, what kind of people should you and I be in our conduct and our godliness? And we, have, we ought to be able to answer that question. And if the question is, you know, I'm not sure, what does it mean to be a Christian teenage girl? Well, you can be sure. Well, I'm not sure what it is to be a Christian husband or wife. Well, you can be sure. I mean, you can be sure. The godly conduct and the holiness that the Bible teaches about, it's right here. You know, you go to marriage counseling. And I don't remember who said this, but I remember reading it and hearing it. I've read it and I've heard it. That, uh, that every marriage that's struggling with every Christian in a Christian marriage, uh, there's only one passage of Scripture you need to know. Just one. And it's in the book of Ephesians. Now, if you read Ephesians, if you get to chapter 4 and verse 1, uh, everything that Paul says, Paul writes a whole lot of stuff telling the people how blessed uh, God has, how he has blessed us in every way. And then he says, and remember, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he still blessed you through his son. You have redemption, forgiveness of sin. You have grace. He's lavished it upon you. We talked about this this morning in our Bible class. But you were dead in your trespasses and sin. But God being rich in his mercy, he saved you. Not on the basis of righteousness. You're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourself, lest no man boast. So even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God did a thing for us through his son. But then he gets all the way to chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, I therefore the prison of the Lord beg you to live your life in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. And really all he's saying is, I beg you to live your life in a manner worthy of the cross. Then the rest of the book is, 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 the, description of, uh, is the description of holy conduct and godly living. It is, in everything. You get to that sixth chapter of Ephesians, and here's the marriage counseling. Uh, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as to the Lord. That's it. That's all you got to know. You don't have to know any other thing. There's not been a magazine article written. There's not been a self-help 
book written, nothing, not one. Why would we not? That's a commandment of the Lord. Now, we're moving to there. and We're going to move to there. That's a commandment, by the way. That does first eight verses in the 119th Psalm, Mark. It's about commandments and judgments and precepts. And, you know, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And, and I prepared this handout for you and, and the commandments and, and faith. There's no, you cannot separate commandments and faith. You cannot do it. We read that Revelation 14 passage about the, that, it, the, pers- the perseverance of the saints is living in that union between marriage, the commandments and faith. You're not justified by command or the, the law. You're justified by faith. Paul would write the Galatians, but the law is our tutor. That le- you can't even get to Christ without the law. It's not possible. I gave you the verses. I hope you read them. I'm going to look at just very quickly a few of them. But I'll go back to just, just the marriage. Now, I could pick out anything in your life that has to do with godly conduct, anything in holiness. No couple has ever gone in for marital counseling. No Christian couple. Not one. It'll never happen. I've said this before. It'll never happen where the wife comes in and says, our marriage is just terrible. Why? Because he treats me the way Christ loves the church. It'll never happen. No husband has ever come in and said, I cannot, our marriage isn't working. Why? Because she submits to me as to the Lord. It'll never happen. If a, if a Christian husband and wife understand the commandments of God and understand that this deal's going to burn up and it, it's going to all burn up and you're not going to find anything that the world has to teach you about godly conduct and holiness in your marriage other than Scripture. And the Scripture just says this, Husbands, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Wives, submit yourself unto your husband as the Lord. So the commandment's there. Why don't we do that? Because we don't want to do it. My flesh doesn't want to do it. But we won't have an excuse. The lost world needs to see it. The dying, broken, lost world needs to see it. Paul writes a great section in Corinthians about how a husband and wife ought to live because outsiders come in. And they ought to be able to look at your marriage and say, oh, I've learned something about Christ because of the biblical mandate and teaching about a Christian husband and a Christian wife and the way they treat one another. I struggle immensely in that area. Why? It's not because the truth isn't here. It's because I live in the flesh. And there's spiritual warfare. Now I use that as a measuring point. We could have talked about anything. Anything in your life that has to do with your conduct. Anything in a world that's going to burn up. But if you look at this handout, there's all these things about, and these are just a minute handful. Just, just, you know, we've read the passage out of Deuteronomy 6. God told Moses, he said, you, what, is what I want you to do for your people, this is their conduct. This is where all the other nations would be able to look at my children 
and say, oh, those people, there's something different about them. He said, you teach the commandments, every one of them, the judgments, the edicts, the precepts, the statutes, and you teach them to your sons and your grandchildren. And so he said it. In the Gospel of Matthew, Christ would say in the Sermon on the Mount that I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then nobody, now, people like that one, but they don't like verse 18 and 19, which says, by the way, although he fulfilled it, they're not done away with. <laughs> you and I are still under the commandment. Read it. It's right there. And you just go on. It's the tutor that leads us to Christ. And Jesus would say in John 14, the love of Christ and obedience are required. Not suggested, but required. The great passage that John writes in 1 John, and you know, this is 100% New Testament. The love of God keeps the commandments of God. You couldn't say you're a Christian and be disobedient to the commandments of God. That's Old Testament, by the way. I mentioned last week, 613 laws. Ceremonial, moral, and civil. The moral laws have never been done away with. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and ascended into heaven and became the sacrifice for our sins. Not, not According to him... And his word, the moral imperatives did not end then at the cross. You cannot keep them to save yourself, but because you're saved, you're required to keep them. And then faith. Our faith. The marriage between law and faith. Revelation 19. And faith. What is faith? It's the assurance. It's the hope and the conviction of things not seen. Things not seen. Mark, you mentioned it this morning. The world is just in a panic. It really is. And everybody is an informational uh, <laughs> expert. Everybody's an expert. The people for mass, they're experts. The people against mass, they're experts. The people on you know, any number of things. Where the pandemic came from. The testing, is it accurate, is it not accurate? Everybody's an expert. Everybody's got an opinion. And you got social media, the cancer and the virus that is social media. And then anybody can be an expert. Anybody can be a scientist. And then the smart people don't agree. But everybody's panicked. Everybody's tense. And everybody's a little worried. You know why? Because here's something. I read a quote by Stonewall Jackson, the great general in the Civil War this week. He said, I, I have learned that my conduct, and the word he used was conduct, whether I'm in the safety in my house, the warmth and safety of my house, about to go to bed, or on the battlefield, it never changes. It's the same because he understood that the days of my life were ordained by God. I mentioned several weeks ago that Jesus makes a statement about the true worshipers. Brother, we're seeing it. And I'm in great communication with any number of preachers from all over, people that are in the mission field, professors, 
preaching and teaching in small towns, big churches. This, everything that's happening here, it's not, it's not uncommon. But if you believe what Peter said, this deal's going to burn up. And everything that the world holds precious is going to evaporate. And the only thing that matters is what is your conduct going to be in godliness and righteousness. And the only way you will ever know how to live godly and righteous before God is right here in this world. ABC, CBS, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, your college professors, they have nothing to offer you in the way of godly conduct and righteousness. Nothing at all. There's no Wall Street business practice. There's no Harvard School of Law. There's no great scientific school at the University of Duke in medicine. They have nothing to offer you when it comes to the only thing that matters, and that is godly conduct and righteousness before a, in the midst of a planet that's going to burn up. Christian husbands and wives don't act according to the godly conduct that, that is commanded, not suggested. Christian children are living in rebellion. Christian businessmen act like businessmen in the world and not, not somebody that believes the world's going to burn up. And so their business practices need to be holy and godly. Christians use language that's filthy. Christians live their life cavalier when it comes to their sexuality. And this still is burning up. We live in the weakness of our flesh under the guise of spiritual warfare. And the truth of the matter is we have no excuse. Because God in his word and his commandments has very clearly said to us, this is how you live. This is what the godly conduct is. The final thing about faith. When I put these verses without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. You can't please God without faith. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. No one here has authored or perfected faith in and of themselves. It's not possible. Can't do it. Just can't do it. The word faith has been terribly used in the Christian community as though it's something we authored and we perfected. And you and I, you, if you have faith, it's only because Jesus Christ authored it and perfected it in your life. We're saved by grace through faith. And then finally, faith comes by hearing the story of Christ. Romans 10, 17. So if you believe that, it's impossible to please God without faith. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. You're saved by grace through faith. And then, so, okay, so how do I get that faith? Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes by hearing. And that word, logos, means the story of Christ. That's literally what the Greek New Testament says. And so my, we're going to move here next week. We're going to, I'm going to ask you. You should ask yourselves. Could you tell somebody the story of Christ? I mean tell them. 
I'm not just talking about the Christmas and Easter version. I'm talking about the story of Christ in your life. In Deuteronomy 6, when Moses said, you teach, you teach your sons and your grandsons the commandments of God, he would go on. And he said, there's a reason you teach them, because there's going to be a day when they ask you, what do these mean? And you know what he says? That day, you tell them about the mighty hand of God. Hmm. I don't know what the story of Christ in your life is. But there's only one story worth telling. And that is the story of the mighty hand of God who authored and is perfecting his faith in you. Now for Moses, that meant what God had visibly done for his children to bring them out of slavery. Commandment and faith. It's the start. Introduction in the next week. Do you remember what the last of the plagues were? When Moses went, he said, let my, let my people go. And he wouldn't, and he wouldn't, and he, would. he said he would, then he wouldn't. So Moses finally, he says, whatever you say is going to happen. He said, well, every, the firstborn of all your children, I'm going to slay them. And Moses he had to have grieved in his heart. Because he got a message from God, and this is the story of Christ. He said, you take, you take a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and you slaughter that lamb, and you take the blood of that lamb, and it's the Passover lamb, and you put it on your doorpost. And when the angel of death visits, that angel will pass over. But if you don't, the command, let me ask you, let me ask you something. Do you think if somebody said, yeah, we don't want to have, I don't want to have to do that. Or maybe they wouldn't take the unblemished lamb. Well, that's, you know, that's pretty bad. You think that angel of death would have passed over? No, absolutely. He would not have passed over. Faith, commandment, obedient. And so what did they do? And you know who Jesus is? He's the Passover lamb. The story of Christ. You cannot find a place in the Bible. You cannot find a psalm. You cannot find a law. You cannot find a commandment. You cannot find a historical event. You cannot find a battle. You cannot find anything, Genesis through Malachi, that isn't the story of Christ. Every word in the Old Testament is the story of Christ. Consequently, faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. Church, we better know that story because by that story, we begin to understand godly conduct. Holy, godly, you cannot understand it any other way. You cannot. So whether it's your marriage or your money. By the way, is it your marriage? Is it your money? That's one of our first problems. We actually think it's ours and not his. Are they your children or are they his children? You can just go on. At what point did he give up ownership to anything? But here it is. Tell me the story of Jesus.
And I want for this church to be the people of God who understand of first importance is what Peter said. That this whole deal is going to burn out. And so you should be asking yourself and teaching your children what kind of people should you and I be then? And we ought to be people of the cross. And we'll never be people of the cross until we can tell the story of Christ. And the story of Christ, whether it was to the Egyptian children or you, is the mighty hand of God. So next week, we start talking about the mighty hand of God so that it can be your story. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write every, every word on my heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, teach us to, teach us to live the conduct in which we should live as holy, godly people through the knowledge and example of your Son taught to us through your word and given, given to us through the Holy Spirit. Teach us, Father. Make it preeminent in our mind and our heart. Grow a desire for it in our spirit. Help us to overcome that spiritual warfare. Father, crucify, indeed, please crucify our flesh. Crucify anything in our flesh that keeps us from living in the manner and the way that you've called us to live according to the story of your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.